calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello everyone and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Matt Perslow and today I am joined by Emma Matthews. Hello. Hello. And Jesse Gomez. Hello. It's uh, the, the usual host is out today. Mr. Simon Cardi is off doing some work. So uh, you've got the pleasure of this trio <laughs> to discuss uh, biggest uh, release of the week. Again, it's Starfield. We've got uh, all three of us have been playing some Starfield. So that is obviously uh, a major release. We've not got the, the, the pre-release expertise that mm. Cardi had. Uh, but we're here to tell you what we think of it since we've been playing since it came out in its little like pre-release access. So we've had it for a few days. It's not like we've only just had it since the 6th. Yeah. Uh, we're also uh, revisit uh, the old favorite Baldur's Gate Yay. since that is coming out <laughs> on PS5 this week. Uh, we've also got a little bit of chat from our resident Counter-Strike expert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emma, you're going to discuss a little bit about the uh, the... The sequel that's not really the sequel that's like, what, five games in now? But <laughs> Counter-Strike <That's right>. 2. <laughs> and then finally, after not speaking about it for a few weeks, we're going to chat Armored Core 6. Yes, please. But we are going to start with with the biggest game. Um, Starfield, uh, as as many people uh, will know, uh, our official rating from, from our reviews, from our director reviews, Dan Stapleton, was a 7 um, and Cardi and, and Jen quite kindly gave some relatively kind of like up and down opinions. I think Cardi kind of like reasonably likes it, mm. uh, but there's definitely some issues there. Um, prior warning, um, <laughs> there are at least a couple of people on this week's episode that, uh, that haven't had a particularly good time with Starfield. So there's going to be a little bit more of, uh, the negative side of opinions this week, mm. um, so just to let you know, um, that, that's what's coming. Uh, but um, yeah, Jesse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let, let's, let's go. F I'm not going to say full bore with the cannons. We're not on a witch hunt here. No, like but Jesse, I know that you, you've played the most out of, out of all of the three of mm. us here. You've, you've put in over 20 hours at this point. Yeah. And I know that 
as, as someone that I know you are a big fan of Oblivion, mm. that's that's a part of your your background. But I get the impression that you've not been having the greatest time. No, um, I'll, I'll put this as lightly as I can. I, I think <laughs> I think Starfield lacks a a caring and cohesive touch in terms of in terms of its story the the character you can create the character you want to role play as and the actions you can do while exploring the game's many many worlds um cuz you know we've we've played well I mean before Starfield we've had you know some recent games like The Forgotten City even Outer Worlds Disco Elysium and more importantly Baldur's Gate 3 and I think all of those are sort of standout examples of RPGs that care about the narrative and care about player choice. I know for me personally, and I've, I've sort of had this over the past few years, the most rewarding RPGs allow me to succeed with like player expression and choice mm-hmm. rather than those sort of binary binary mechanical options like it's a gunfight. You can just try and win it now. Um, I, I could <laughs> I could go deeper in, but... I want, so, I want to so 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 let like uh before before we jump to uh to getting emma's perspective um i'd just like to ask you that's an interesting perspective to have in a game that it's a game that opens with a character creation screen that allows you to choose a background like from from bounty hunter to anything from bounty hunter to chef yeah. to diplomat and it's a game that you know kind of like people that are enjoying it are very much seeing the well i, I can chase this gastronomy thing right or i can become a pirate or i can become you know sort of like a, a stealth maestro or yeah. you know there the seems to be a variety of shades of the mm. sort of character that you can build. Why, what is it from your perspective you think that's not actually delivering on that? I, th- I think it's... Because, yeah, like you said, when you open the character creator, it sort of gives you plenty of options, whether, you know, you can, you can choose a bunch of different traits that either affect certain dialogue choices, which you would expect in an RPG, or offer certain stats and debuffs. I think one thing that sort of stuck out to me immediately when I launched the game was there's a few faction traits which, if a particular faction um, engages with you in conversation, you're going to have better outcomes with them or certain mm-hmm. rewards. And what stuck out to me immediately was, I am new to Starfield. This is Bethesda's newest world possible. I don't have any relations to these factions Already, I don't know who these factions mm-hmm. are. I don't know what these rewards are going to be. So how can I be making those choices so early on? And I know it's more of a thing like, maybe you don't choose those traits straight away. And then after your first or second playthrough, it's like, I'm going to go for those traits now because I know what they do. But I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's things like that that stuck out to me. It's another thing as well where I'm just going to circle back to Baldur's Gate 3. I, I, in that game, I might find a hidden note that like unveils a secret plot against a character or I might just confront that character head on, which turns what could have been a sword fight into a fight of like wit and words, which narratively is way more rewarding. I can I can try and outsmart them or there might be a, another whole different option coupled with a few different spells that I didn't even consider at first. And all of those options, they're not, they're not there to circumvent in-game content. It's well thought out and deliberately mm-hmm. designed path by the developer or there might be some wholly unique unique option that you know the developers didn't even consider but a player just came up with it and you can do it in the game but in starfield i might rock up to an to an npc a quest giver an enemy 
And I can either agree with them, I can leave the conversation, or I can persuade them. But that persuasion is ultimately a skip over whatever mm -hmm. content they were going to give you. And right. like for, for me, there hasn't been a point in Starfield where I buy into that role playing aspect where I feel like I've played my role. I've played my character better than the enemy has, better than my companions have. And usually in Starfield, it just boils down to, do I have the bigger gun? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I win. And I think that's what's so, been so most what disappointing. You're what you're effectively saying there is is kind of like it's almost like the 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 character that you can craft sort of feels inconsequential like being a chef has no it's not like you can at least not that any of us have found i'm guessing in the first sort of like chunk of this mm. game you can't set up a restaurant and and actually make significant <laughs> amount of money by being like a chef or yeah. you know food doesn't seem food seems to give you like like maybe minor buffs rather than actually changing the way that you play the game or anything like that. Yeah, I feel like, I don't, I don't even want to say I feel like I've been spoilt with all those, you know, aforementioned games like Disco Elysium and whatnot, because like I, like you mentioned at the start, I, I, I've put so many hours into Skyrim, so many hours into Oblivion. I think it's probably combined with both over a thousand hours. And those were the first RPGs oh, wow. I played as a kid, as a teenager. But then... It was only like maybe, let's say, six, seven years ago. I played Deus Ex for the first time, you know, a game from mm -hmm. 2000. I played uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which is a game from 2004. And just thinking about those games and then what I experienced first with RPGs with Bethesda's games and then thinking about the other games I've been playing recently, it's like I am I'm genuinely kind of shocked that we haven't been getting these kind of player freedoms in terms of what an RPG can offer you from Bethesda. I feel like... It, like, I haven't I haven't played much of Morrowind, but I know that's the game where people are like, this is this is what the RPG was at the peak of in terms of what you could actually do. I feel like Bethesda just haven't learnt much since Skyrim. Mm -hmm. Okay, Emma, Sorry, how are you I was, feeling? <laughs> I was going to say, like, how have you both, like, Jesse, you've put in like twenty hours. Yeah, right? I think I'm I think I'm like twenty eight hours right now. Oh, okay, okay, so closer to thirty. Mm. Matt, I think we've put roughly the same time in. Like yeah, 11, kind of like 12. in the fifteen hour okay. kind of rate. I am. I was just going to ask, like, how have you sort of gone about splitting your time so far in terms of like main quest, side quest, mm. and just exploring? Because like, I feel like you're going to get very, very different impressions from each person based on like kind of what you prioritize. Like personally, I've put a, a lot more time in side quests yeah. um, mm -hmm. than the main one so far. So yeah, I'm like 11, 12 hours in. And I've seen some really cool side quests and some not so good <laughs> ones. And so right now I'm sort of like, I'm enjoying it enough where I want to keep playing. Um, yeah. And I feel like I've seen like glimmers of quests that sort of, I love the Fallout games and like mm -hmm. they have some of the best like quests in RPGs um, and side quests as well. And so I was like, okay, I want to go in and I want to sort of dig in any like sort of weird sort of side quests yeah. that I see I want to go and sort of explore. Um, and I've been enjoying some of those, but there are other ones where it's, not as fun and it's more kind of a bit sleepy time um <laughs> oh, no, so, <laughs> some are like yeah, shockingly like bad like the first side quest and i know it's just you're sort of getting into the game but the first side quest was a bloke staring at a tree and he's like man i need to get some i need to find some nodes that i've put across the map because this tree's feeling unwell you do that and nothing really happens like i know i need to go back to that character to find out more but as a beginner quest you just you cannot just tell the player like yo, pick up five of these things and return to the NPC and then that's it. Like you just, I, 
I just feel like that is so boring. <laughs> I mean, that so to to outline my camp, I'm 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 not a fan now. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've kind of got 15 hours in, and I think like I might be. You know, I got told that it was a slow burn and I got told that around kind of like this sort of time things would kick in mm-hmm. and and it hasn't. And But I think the things that I don't like about it, I think are the fundamental building blocks of the game. Yeah. So it ultimately wouldn't matter if kind of like the story got interesting at this point. I think there's too much about it that, that I don't like. But in terms of that like opening sort of sleep time, I think this might be Bethesda's weakest opening that they've unfortunately uh, ever put out. Kind of like... When we think of Bethesda openings, Skyrim, excellent example. You are a man on a truck being taken to be executed. Um, why the hell am I this? Why? What the hell's going on? Then a dragon turns up and you have to escape. Excellent way to open a game. Fallout 3 is you get the entire history of you within like 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> you go from baby to adult. Yeah. And mm-hmm. through that lens you get to see how a vault works. Like, this was the first Fallout game in many, many years, you know, kind of like Bethesda bought the rights to Fallout and they got to make, you know, this Fallout game and show you through the eyes of this child um, how vaults, the most important kind of part of that world works. Mm. And then with Fallout 4, we got to go even further back and we got to see from that kind of faux 50s atomic age kind of viewpoint... We got to, it opens with a nuke going off. <laughs> yeah. Like super exciting things. Uh, Starfield unfortunately opens with you in a mine uh, picking at rocks and then and then you go out and, and give a special piece of metal to a man in a spaceship, which I was really surprised that it's step out moments, you know, kind of like that traditional, yeah. like you get and see the horizon. Mm-hmm. Isn't like, I was sort of expecting maybe like a scene from Avatar with like an amazing shipyard yeah. and beautiful kind of like weird, um, like forestry work. Uh, unfortunately, what you get is a flat metal sheet with a spaceship on it <laughs> with a load of rocks. And I think, uh, so my... When you when you work as kind of like, you know, in the sort of positions that we do. So I, I do interview quite a lot of developers. And the feeling that I get from Starfield is that you occasionally talk to a, a developer that's wanted to do something for so long. Yeah. You know, they'll talk about like the team really wanted to do this. And that's clearly what Starfield is, right? But so you'll speak to developers that are like, we really, really wanted to do this. We've got all of these big ideas and we started making it. And then kind of like a year into the project we realized that this this doesn't work that like the tools we have aren't the right tools to make our fantasy come true it's not making uh something that will work right for the players it doesn't fit in all the things that we hoped for it and so we eventually have to either entirely abandon it or completely rescope the project and find a version that works for it mm. For me, Starfield feels like the game where that conversation never happened and they just kept working. Because for me, what it feels like is it's an RPG and a space exploration game, right, at the same time. It is effectively a Fallout game mixed with an Elite Dangerous or kind of like a free space style sort of game, you know, like an X Final Frontier. And it is not particularly good at doing either of those, from my perspective at least. So as a space exploration game, it's incredibly compromised, partly because um, you don't fly through space. Essentially, the space that you get Mm -hmm. to go to are little pockets in the orbit of individual planets. Um, And and because you don't 
fly physically to, to these sort of areas. There's no genuine space exploration. What you actually do is fast travel to a planet and you're forced to have kind of like a two minute section where you're in orbit and then you fast travel down to the planet surface. Mm. So it ultimately doesn't feel like a space exploration. Where you can click and go to in the galaxy is a lot of procedurally generated stuff that quite often, at least in my short, you know, relatively short, when you know I've only played sort of 15 hours, um, has served up the same areas yeah. again with the same enemy layouts, mm. the same kind of like text in, in these areas. And the actual main quest itself um, feels, it's not just the main quest, but the RPG section of it does feel a lot like the, it, it's, 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 it's a Fallout game, and which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because I, I like Fallout. Yeah. Um, but I find that the, um, the storytelling is more sterile than what it was in Fallout. It's not got this really cool atom punk sort of like kooky sort of area to be and it's not got the the dragons and demons of skyrim yeah um i love the aesthetic of it I, that nasa punk thing i think is really cool and it liberally lifts from firefly one of my favorite <laughs> uh sci-fis of all time so that sort of stuff i'm interested in but i have not played a quest yet that interested me unfortunately yeah they all feel very um sterile mm. in, in in my experience i mean emma you you mentioned you had like a few little glimmering quests that sort of stood out to you so far like has, has, has there been anything that's like particular standout um one of them is called i think it's called red tape blues mm. um oh i've not played this no so this one's pretty cool because it's one of those quests where you start off just by talking to someone on a planet mm-hmm. they're like i need help with something and then as you progress through the quest, it's kind of like it becomes a quest within a quest within a quest <laughs> of like sure. to mm-hmm. help out that first person. You've got to go speak to someone else and they need help with something. So you've got to go and do that. And like I ended up blackmailing someone, finding out <laughs> a bunch of information about a completely different mm-hmm. character who I wouldn't have come across otherwise. Mm. Um, hacking into like computers and doing some shifty stuff that I think upset <laughs> my companion a little bit. Um <laughs> That one is a standout one, yeah. I think because it has like that depth that you're kind of mm-hmm. looking for with these with these quests. Yeah. Like some of the quests I've come across where I've sort of expected, oh, you know, I'm going to be doing this for like 20 minutes or something. It's you know, it might it might it could go in so many different directions, and then after just talking to them for like two minutes, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's done. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I wanted more from that. Yeah. Like this quest had that depth of like, okay, you've got to go to like other planets, you've got to go and you know to different areas, speak to completely different people, and try and like make all of this work, mm. um, which I really liked. And there was another one as well called First Contact. I don't know. Oh yeah, you... I've I've played that. I think I think the the concept of that is, is is super interesting. It's cool, right? But what upset me was I thought that was going to be a lot deeper than it ended mm-hmm. up being as well. Like it, I won't spoil it for anyone. But like if you come across it, just just do it and see but like i that was a quest where i thought oh you know they've got a really interesting idea here and um i feel like there's a lot they could do to like sort of build on this Mm -hmm. and i thought it would it would take me like different places um and basically it's just kind of you hop back and forth between two planets just trying to find like sort of a way to solve this problem and then that's kind of it like yeah it's 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 a that that one is you know i I think you're right to not spoil it because it does have like an interesting premise but it is essentially a it's a diplomacy mission right which i must say one of the reasons why i liked it i think quite a lot so far of um the quests that i've played have fallen down to 
uh, walk into an area and shoot a lot of space pirates. Yeah. Um, and this one I really appreciated because it wasn't. It was a story about actually solving problems through diplomacy. But I, I really wish I'd made a save at the start of that to see if there were any more ways out of it than what the game presents. But uh, like I would fear, based on other quests I've done, that essentially what the people in that quest offer you as dialogue choices are the only ways out of it. So it essentially gives you, was it like three, Emma? There's three like options yeah. you're given. None of which were the ones I wanted to take. No, I um, thought there was going to be another way around it and I was hoping there would be. And it was like, I, I did that thing where you sort of, you try and exhaust all the options yeah. by mm -hmm. talking to them. And you're like, okay, let me see what I can weigh up here. And then I was like, right, okay, I'm going to go away. And they were like, all right, talk to you in a minute or whatever. And came back and I thought, oh, is there going to be like an extra option where mm -hmm. I can sort of, you know, try and try and get them to do what I want to do? Mm. And there wasn't. Like and I think this this is almost what comes to my, my kind of disappointment in the RPG half of this game is that I wonder if because of the sheer amount of money and resources that were spent on creating this space game side of it where you're exploring a thousand planets of which are largely made up of lots of repeated content... Um, I wonder how much money went into that that could have gone into uh, improving the RPG side of it. Because I think what we've got is an RPG that I think in the era of like Fallout 3 and kind of like Skyrim would have flown as quite an advanced RPG. I think in that era, like 10, 13 years ago, I think the RPG's angle of, of Starfield would feel good and, and satisfying. But there have been a lot of RPGs that have come out since then that have kind of shifted uh, kind of like the bar and the expectation and the enjoyment of that genre. Yeah. And I really wish that that it had got... Because Bethesda games are layered with lots of interesting systems, you know, lots of stealth systems, lots of kind of like moving physical yeah. items and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember the the joy of learning that you could put a bucket on someone's head. <laughs> like, it was obviously exploiting the game, but it was a case of, like, yeah, use the game to its ability. And now once someone's got a bucket on their head, they can't see, and you can sneak around them. Yeah. And I feel that, kind of, like, if only there wasn't all of the money that had been spent on this compromised, kind of very dull version of space exploration, mm. if all of that could have been funneled into the RPG side, like, keep layering up those, like have the elements that power the likes of kind of Disco Elysium, the likes yeah. of, you know, not necessarily Baldur's Gate, because obviously they they're built, they were built in tandem, right? But but Divinity Original Sin 2, some of these kind of like games that have really pushed forward RPGs recently. Um, even kind of like the, the character writing of something like Dragon Age Inquisition or Mass Effect, I do think the characters are underwritten in this, at least as far as I've got. Yeah. Um, and I just wish that that RPG had been bolstered to being an amazing space RPG that maybe felt a little closer. I'm not saying to Mass Effect in terms of um, like it being an action game rather than like a sandbox. But Mass Effect is an RPG set in space and you feel like you're traveling through the galaxy on the Normandy because the Normandy is yours yeah. and you take ownership of it. But ultimately, the Normandy is a fast travel system between different planets. I would have been absolutely fine with that and had the actual planets full of like beautifully layered, overlapping, interacting kind of quests and systems, which this has in the 
what feels like 2010 version of an rpg yeah i mean i was gonna say like you sort of you sort of get that in the outer worlds you know you're not actually hopping on the spaceship and flying about and stuff but then Mm -hmm. starfield presents itself as like you know and this is also annoying like on on paper starfield is a dream game of mine it's an rpg that lets you know build and fly your own spaceship have a unique crew set foot on numerous different planets all sorts um but it's you know build my spaceship okay that's cool i like that aspect now i have to get onto my spaceship loading screen get onto the cockpit okay take off loading screen now i have to try and find the planet let me go on the main menu check out the map Mm -hmm. put it on there and i could just fast travel to it or i could go back into the game if i really really want to and then you know like engage my grab drive and stuff and then go through but it's it doesn't feel rewarding enough, even though when you're in space, you know, you might get hailed by particular different crews or different spaceships to engage mm-hmm. in quests. But I think if you've set yourself on a path where I'm halfway through a quest, I just cleared like, you know, a mine or a little town and one guy's like, oh, you need to go back to this planet. It's like, am I going to spend the time to even walk back to my ship or should I just fast travel to the other planet that I've already been to immediately? Like, it's just... I don't, I don't, I don't know if it doesn't respect your time, but it just, I don't buy into the space aspect of Starfield. I mean, but part of it for me is the is the lack of immersive quality yeah. in the because so I I can't say why this is, but I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe the creation engine, the creation engine is is not. Good. It doesn't seem like it's good at continuous space, yeah. and like, if somebody knows differently, then then please do do email in and tell us how this works. But because so many buildings are behind load screens, I do wonder if the creation engine is not good at, at very long elements of of, of um, continuous space, yeah. which almost feels like why you do have to load screen between every planet, right? Yeah, um, it can't do the no man's sky sort of element, which everybody sort of wanted, and I'm ultimately fine with that. But it also like the game really wants you to have that immersive continuous experience so it does like that's why it drops you into orbit and then you have to go through another loading screen to land yeah. and it has mm. actual loading screens rather than doing that beautiful thing that a jedi survivor does where it wraps the ship in uh in like a, a light speed gif yeah. for lack of a better term to disguise the fact that you're going through a loading screen you do have to sit through a loading I, screen i had i had one moment in a quest where i thought that was actually going to happen and it was pretty mm-hmm. late into a faction quest where I got onto someone's ship and she's like, okay, like, you know, if you get on my ship, then like, you know, you're going to start this mission and you're going to have to be here for a while. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And the ship took off. I wasn't like, my character wasn't stuck down to anything. And I saw us going in space. And I was like, oh my God, it's actually doing the thing I want to. I mm-hmm. got on the ship and it's taken off. And then it hit a loading screen midway conversation when I wasn't like locked into a character. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, balls. And then, and then it was going through space and like, it was another character piloting the ship and I could look around, go anywhere I wanted to in the ship. And then midway through, I was looking at my inventory, another loading screen. So it like it it tried to present itself as like a seamless thing where characters were having a conversation mm-hmm. and I was exploring a ship on my way to a mission, which an NPC was piloting me to, but it still had those hiccups. And I'm not saying the game needs to be like Star Citizen, but I think if it, oh, no, I think no. if it was like scaled back where we could have those smaller elements where... I'm going to get on my ship and it is going to open up and I can walk on. Because every single ship, mm-hmm. like in order for you to get on your ship properly, everything, you have to go through a yeah, everything is a ladder mm-hmm. as well. In terms mm-hmm. of design, like every single person's ship is you need to get through a ladder to get up top. And I was like, and that, design wise, that is annoying. <laughs> 
Well, this is why I wonder if it is a creation engine issue in yeah. the fact that because it, it maybe isn't very good at continuous space, they do compartmentalize it. And that is absolutely fine because I never really had a problem. A lot of people have a problem with like the loading screens in Fallout and I largely never did. Like I don't mind that you have to go through a loading screen to get into a building. Yeah. But Starfield is trying to present this kind of like element of seamless travel from yeah. planet to atmosphere to orbit to, uh, to another atmosphere down to kind of thing. And I kind of like, I wish it would just almost like admit to itself that it can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Like, have you spent much time sort of just exploring planets and just seeing what's out there? Because that's something that I sort of, I tried to do a little bit and I think I went to maybe like three or four planets just like randomly just yeah. to sort of, you know, have a little wander around. And I was using my scanner and stuff and I went into a cave and I was like, oh, there might be something cool in here. You know, like in Fallout and stuff, if you stumble into another vault or a cave, usually you'll find something in there that rewards you for, you know, being curious. I went to this cave, there was nothing. There was <laughs> no. absolutely nothing. I was like following stuff on the scanner. And I don't know if I've just been really unlucky mm. in the planets I've gone to, but it seems like the game really does want you to do that and, you know, farm yeah. resources and set up outposts. Like I think I've set mm. up maybe one just to get mm -hmm. like, you know, get that off my quest yeah. line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how much, have you spent much time doing that uh, at all? Has it mainly uh, been missions for you? Jesse? Oh no, I mean, I was, I was going to say like, yeah, I definitely had a thing where... And well, in fact, yesterday, because I'm, I'm maybe like 22-ish hours into my first playthrough. But then last night, I was like, I'm going to start a new playthrough and really just focus in on the the main quest um, and not do any fast travel at all. You know, completely negate that. Okay. So, you know, I'll be going through the main quests and I'll, you know, chart my course and just go from, you know, point to point, planet to planet. And there was... A couple of times where I saw a planet, I was like, visually, that looks cool. That looks interesting. Scan it, be like, okay, maybe I want that material in this playthrough. Land, and I might come across an outpost. I was like, okay, I've not come across this kind of outpost before. But then three planets afterwards, I find that exact same outpost again. And I'm not sure if you guys have come across it, but it's sort of like a, it's an outpost that has a large flight of stairs and an elevator you can take. Um, and it's sort of like these sort of like, it's like a big sort of tower outpost. I have come across that exact same design, I think maybe seven or eight times now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, <sighs> but this is, this is the procedural engine fighting against like, uh, you know, I, I personally believe that an RPG should feel like incredibly handcrafted. Yeah. It should be like you say, mm -hmm. Emma, that idea of like every vault you went in, in, in Fallout, is made by there's a person that scripted that vault mm. that sat down and was like what is the purpose of this vault what was the scientific experiment that was the history behind this vault that's why you get the gary vault an excellent joke yeah. um you know a vault that was just full of people called gary <laughs> like that that's fantastic but every vault was designed by and yes like they were probably made out of modular pieces because all the vaults have a similar art style, yeah. right? Mm. But they, the the stories that those vaults told were unique to each vault. Whereas because I'm not expecting a, a, a developer to make a thousand unique planets. That's bananas. That's much why I, I'd honestly rather that Starfield was six planets, yeah. but six planets of beautiful, handcrafted, like passionately written stories that, that I could explore. But like you say, like you end up exploring the same outpost six times because it's just, they're stamps, aren't they, effectively? Like yeah. the computer is rolling out a procedural uh, place and all it does is it's got a variety of stamps that it can use. And 
the look of the dice can quite often mean that you get the same one over and over. Yeah, and then, like it could be, you know, it could be that the game needs a patch or two to maybe sort of like rejig certain aspects of the engine where those more dynamic, I don't know, opportunities haven't really been, you know, put forth mm-hmm. to all players and stuff. Maybe that needs to happen. I don't know. And you know, Starfield feels like a game that maybe in one or two years where unfortunately, uh, I say unfortunately, when modders have fleshed the game out more, it is going to be a case where it's like, I feel like I'm ready to step back into this world because Oblivion and Skyrim for me is that comfy game where I've destroyed mm-hmm. everything Bethesda has to offer in that game. But I know mods are changing it up all the time and Starfield's probably going to be the same thing for me in a couple of years. But just it's just it's just small things like, I don't know. Well, well, this actually brings me to the quote. Like, like we've spoken about it for for a while now. Yeah. So I wanted. We're all playing it on PC. All of us have 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 like good rigs. Get to play this in in sort of like its most beautiful form. Um, but I would like to know. Like uh, Emma, we'll start with you. What what would you like modded? What's the mod that you actually want to see at this point? Um, I saw a cool mod that like kind of I haven't got it yet I haven't been playing with any mod yet I've been playing it like just its stock version just to see like yeah like what is it and then but I think like I'm going to continue playing it so I think I'm going to start probably looking into some mods but um, it's like the way you know how you look at all your inventory and it's currently Mm -hmm. split up it just it's you just can't see everything like I want to be able to they could organize it in a way where you can see way more on the screen than Mm -hmm. rather than having to go through like four different menus to get to it and there is a mod i think now that exists out there where it it just makes it into a list yeah and i think that will just make it so much simpler if i want to just like grab something um yeah i hate the fact that currently if i want to do anything it feels like i have to go through three menus before i can get to the thing i'm looking for i I really do think that one of the first priorities will be like streamlining this so you're not fucking in menus for five percent of your time why can't i eat food immediately when I see it, why can't I like? Because if you look at a weapon, it's like hold X to equip it. Why can't I just mm-hmm. hold X to fucking eat the apple? It's in front yeah. of me. Is that, is that the mod that you want, Jesse? Eat the apple. <laughs> it's just like it, it sounds. It sounds tough, but it's just I. I want. I want mods that just change it into a better game. I'm not asking for someone to make the fucking Death Star and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Will come in a few years where people have just gone absolutely crazy. I downloaded a mod last night, which is called just the neutral. LUT no color filter mod because when I was playing through like Agrima pointed out she was like this game looks really blue and I was like oh yeah, yeah. it really it does. does it's got the twilight yeah. filter <laughs> and then I went on Nexus and someone just has like a no color filter mod and I was like oh my god now I have contrast now I have like popping colors and stuff reds look like reds and you know like blacks look like blacks which, and which, stuff like yeah, which I will say is like, like this is the nicest looking game that the Fezzer have made and yeah. I really do like that art style and as a big fan of Firefly, the fact that it's got the, essentially it has the brown coats versus the Alliance in mm. the Freestar Collective and the United Colonies. So getting to see kind of like the NASA punky elements, the slightly more like big Star Trek-ish future yeah. versus kind of essentially a bunch of cowboys on an out on a back <laughs> world. Like I want to see that looking the nicest it can. So yeah, like I'm, I might actually grab that mod as well. Yeah. Um, I There are two that I desperately want. <laughs> The one is a map. Please, oh, God damn Jesus, it, yeah. I want a map. I am. Um, yeah, okay, that was a really good one. <laughs> the thing is, is like a big thing about Bethesda games is that it's the discovery and it's the walking around and it's the traveling and stuff like that and finding out. I find that because there's no map on this, 
essentially what I do quite a lot of the time is just follow a blue marker to where I want to be. And I feel like having a map that allows me to more organically explore and use the map as reference rather than just constantly beelining yeah. for, for a blue dot would be helpful. Also, the first time I needed to sell stuff because I was over encumbered, um, God damn, it took me ages to fucking find a shop that would take it. I just wish I could have opened a map and it told me where a shop was. Um, and the other thing I want is... I currently have 17 different types of ammunition in my inventory. And it just means that, like, why? And I assume that's not all of them. Why the fuck are there 17 different types of ammunition? I've just got guns that I can fire, like, four times before I'm out of ammo. <laughs> like, about four is enough. Like, four different ammos uh. that do four different sort of things. That's fine. Yeah, and I want a mod that slightly reconfigures the, the weapon so they just take, like, like this one takes big ammunition this one takes energy ammunition mm. this one takes little nine mils yeah just something like that not everything needs to have its own bespoke ammo piece uh, i was gonna also maybe suggest like making the unkillable npcs killable but then i know that mm. would just fuck the game it would it would just not be able to comprehend what is going on and it would break countless quests but well yeah yeah that's the thing <laughs> is that like it's it's not the the game is not reactive enough to be able to yeah. to deal with you killing off important characters mm. uh Anyway, is there, is there any last thoughts that people want to go before we move on? Starfield is okay. <laughs> That's oh, the is thing, it? yeah. I feel like at this point in time, 11, 12 hours in, I'm like, mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. I've seen bits of it that make me want to continue playing. I do yeah. want to stick with it, give it more of a chance. And like, I feel like maybe in like a week, I'll see how I feel. Mm -hmm. do, you, like, do you think you'll both continue with it based off what you've seen so far? I, I think I'm done with it. It's it's not it's not giving me the RPG experience that I want. Yeah. Um, and I don't like the space stuff. So there are there are a lot of other games coming out. Um, and, there's, there's, and there's games, you know, that are literally like a couple of weeks away. So uh, I've still not finished Baldur's Gate 3 yet. So I'll just continue playing that. Yeah, I mean, I've got three co-op campaigns of Baldur's Gate 3 that I'm currently playing through. <laughs> I, th I, think, I think I'll still like dip in and out of Starfield just like maybe when, you know, I'm by myself and stuff and just want to fuck around a little bit. But it's not like, I, I don't have this glowing, relentless enthusiasm that cannot be broken for Starfield. Like it is, for me, it's like a six out of 10. It's okay. It, it will hopefully get better through mods but <laughs> we'll see there we, there we go anyway we have touched a little bit there on Baldur's Gate 3 uh, which came out for the PlayStation 5 this week so um, I uh, I really hope that our enthusiasm uh, for this game has uh, has introduced <laughs> it to people that maybe wouldn't have necessarily played Baldur's Gate 3 you know kind of like a uh, an isometric ish uh, RPG with turn-based combat isn't necessarily for everyone, but I do think like the boom of interest in D&D &D has definitely captured a lot of people, clearly because it's got one of the highest concurrence on Steam that's ever had. I think it's got like over 800,000 people at one point mm. were playing it all at the same time. Um, but um, I, uh, for me, uh, undoubtedly the game of the year, yeah. um, probably the rpg of the decade for me um <laughs> yeah. i'm currently in act three of which i will offer absolutely no spoilers but i would just say that i think it continually proves itself as one of the most wonderfully written stories one of the most wonderfully engaging game worlds a place that 
everything that I try to dream of, but one one occasion <laughs> that I couldn't do something that I thought I could do. But a, a world that just offers so much flexibility. And uh, last night, so I'm currently in Act Three, uh, which uh, which allows you to go to the titular city of Baldur's Gate, as as if the title wasn't obvious. <laughs> but being able to go to places that uh, I know from the original games was has been an absolute delight. But um, I went into a shop last night at the start of my uh, like I normally play for about three hours a night. Yeah. I went into a shop expecting it to take me about ten minutes to do a little quest I got to go in to get a book. Um, I was there three hours later. <laughs> That's crazy. Like it is a, it's one of those like Emma, like you were saying about uh, when when Starfield's quests are working well. It's that location was a place where it goes deeper and it goes deeper. It quite literally went deeper and deeper, and new bits were opening up. And there was kind of like because that shop had got kind of like a magical edge to it. It had got some of the, you know, like the bits um, when you were a kid and you read Harry Potter and there were just elements of it where you're just like, this just feels so magical. Mm. This just feels so otherworldly and quirky and just delightful. It had got all of that in that quest. And it's, I say, just a quest that constantly surprised me, had like the most wonderfully challenging combat encounter in the middle that just felt so, so like authentically brilliant once I conquered it. You know, it took me a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I can't I can't speak more highly of this game it has been a journey that I've taken with my partner and it's one of those that you know this sounds a bit sort of like you know smart uh, like like cushy or whatever but like for some people the journey with their partner is to travel to kind of like New Zealand Mm. or, or you know go into the Alps and something like that like playing through this with my partner has been like uh like like this just this beautiful journey like almost 100 hour journey so far mm. of just like experiencing the forgotten realms and making friends with these wonderful characters characters i will never forget like you know uh, i'm at a point where the story is connecting with the original two games as well in ways i didn't expect yeah and I'm I'm reuniting with characters from from those games, and it's so exciting. Especially those games were they, they look like like very old <laughs> games these days, and to see yeah. it in these beautiful graphics is like it really does make my heart sing. Oh no, uh, Jesse, I know that you're also playing. How have you been I'm, finding it? I mean, it? yeah, it's probably one of the best games I've played in a long, 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 long time. Like, don't get me wrong, and yeah, I'm going to do this again. You know. I love Resident Evil. <laughs> Resident mm-hmm. Evil 4 had a remake, which, you know, I adore and stuff like that. But it's something I've experienced. And Baldur's Gate 3 is some is unlike anything I've played before. And again, it's the same thing where if you told me a year ago that I'm going to be playing a turn-based bloody Dungeons & Dragons game, I'll be like, fuck off, that's not happening. But it's, <laughs> it's just insane. And my partner sort of has the same reaction where it's like, we don't really care about Dungeons & Dragons and like turn-based combat. Mm-hmm. If I hate it, she can't fucking stand it. We both think it's like just not all too fun. But now we're, you know, sort of like really trying to get in depth with our builds, trying to like, you know, really think of good synergies for like use this spell and I'll like turn into this and whatnot. Like we are absolutely loving it, which is, you know, we've, we've got like three different campaigns we're playing for at the moment. And mm-hmm. there's still stuff. Even yesterday when I was playing again in Act One alone, there's new bits and bobs. I was like, oh shit, I didn't experience this in my other playthroughs. And now I'm playing, you know, through this part again, but now this part's new. It's like, it's just, it's insane. I, I don't, I think it's going to be a long while until we see another game like Baldur's Gate 3, but I'm really hoping whatever Larian does next. And I think, you know, we spoke about this a little bit, Matt, like I want to see them do 
you know, something outside of the fancy realm, whether it's a little mm-hmm. bit cyberpunkish, whether it's a little bit Disco Elysium or anything like that. Like, yeah, I don't think Larian... I'd, I'd like to think that whatever their next project is, whether it's, you know, bigger or smaller, I can't imagine they're going to miss, you know? They're, they've had, for, from my perspective anyway, three hits in a row at this point. Yeah. So, um, so I do think they're going well. Uh, Emma, have you played any Baldur's Gate at all? I've played like an hour <laughs> when it <laughs> like it? came to PC. Yeah, I, I was really interested in it, but also kind of a bit, not scared, but like, you know, when you're a little mm. bit put off just by the sheer size of it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone mm-hmm. was saying how long it was going to be. And I was like, I'm really interested in it. I do want to play it. Started like a co-op campaign with my partner and we enjoyed like the first hour that we played, but we've got like our eyes on so many other games yeah. at the moment. <laughs> And like, obviously that was before Starfield came out. So we were like, oh, you know, we've got to wait for that as well. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't gone back to it yet. But everyone, literally every person I've spoken to and everything I've seen online, everyone's like, it's amazing. You have to play it. So I'm thinking like, probably I'll take it on like at Christmas, like just have like all of the Christmas holidays yeah. sort of mm-hmm. like mapped out. That's just going to be Baldur's Gate free time. But it sounds really, really good. Like, if you know in this time where there's so many games that are releasing and so many like good things on offer as well. It's mm. like, it feels like this is the one that people should be making time for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, in a year that Nintendo released, you know, arguably one of their finest video games that they've ever made for for Baldur's Gate, to, for, in, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily blow Tears of the Kingdom out of the <laughs> water. for me. But... <laughs> But my enjoyment, and I don't know, I loved Tears of the Kingdom. I had such a wonderful journey with that game. But Baldur's Gate is the one that I will remember. And part of that is my connection to, like, the Forgotten Realms and to the previous games. And the character I play in this game is a character that I used to play on the tabletop. Mm. So I'm taking that character with me. So there are all of these elements that that do fit and make it very personal to me. But... um, it's like every every day that I turn that game on, it delights and su- and surprises me and gives me a character interaction or just has a bit where I'm fucking stacking boxes to break into somewhere yeah. and then suddenly ending up on a rabbit hole that's taken me into like reading a book about, you know, that that, that gives me dark powers or whatever. <laughs> there's there's just so much. Uh. And like you say, Jesse, like I did 30... About 30 hours in Act 1. Saw a TikTok the other day of an area in Act 1 I'd never seen. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. That's really cool. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, touching just on Starfield very briefly again. Like, I'm not that far into the game, but I feel like when I'm playing in the evenings after work, I sort of, I'll play for maybe an hour and a half to two hours and kind mm. of like, I feel like I've had enough at that sure. point. Mm. Like, I'm ready to turn the game off. Um it sounds like with Baldur's Gate that that doesn't happen. You're always kind of wanting to, you know, stick with it. Like it sounds like a game you can play for like four it's hours plus at a time, and man. there's going to be enough to keep you like interested. Mm-hmm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. <laughs> 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of games... The, there's enough to keep you interested for hours and hours and hours. Emma, you you have played so much Counter Strike in your life. Um, you are you're one of the foremost experts that I can think of in this game that I've ever met in my life. Um, but you have been playing Counter Strike too because you've had the the benefit of getting in early. Um, why are we talking about Counter Strike two now? So the limited test. It's been out. It was out for like very few people sort of when it was first announced. Mm. And yeah, I was I was lucky enough to get into it quite early. Exclusive. But yeah, I know. <laughs> so fancy. Um but yeah, in the past like week it's been opened up to way more people. So we're still in the limited like well still it's limited right. but like it's not as cool anymore, asterisk, I guess, right? right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's like it's open to way more people um and updates have really started to ramp up for this now. Mm-hmm. So I think this week alone Valve have pushed like three updates okay just mm-hmm. dealing with like different bugs and stuff so lots more people have come in and we've seen like big changes as well so yeah csgo i feel like i love it so much but i really really am enjoying cs2 like so because you'll have played quite a lot of it by this point because you've been in it for it's not it's, it's like months at this point you've been part of this isn't it not just weeks yeah. Exactly. And like, I've tried some of the like different types of modes, like some of them have sort of come in and out as they've been fixing stuff. Mm. Um, but this week, what's really cool is we've they actually start letting you do your placement games for like competitive matches. Okay. So I've been trying their premium mode. They've kind of like taken the ranking system. I don't know if you know how it works in CSGO, but currently you're just basically you do 10 wins you're put in a skill group and they go from like silver right up to global elite. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know like roughly where you are in that skill group. It's literally just like you are this rank. Right. Um, so it doesn't do the rainbow six thing of breaking each rank down into individual groups. So you could be like silver one, silver two, silver oh, it three. Has, it has that. Yeah. Okay. But it's like mm-hmm. you're, you're not sure how close you are to like a rank up or whatever. Right. You kind of mm-hmm. just have to be like, oh, you know, I've won this many matches. Um, right. I think I'm roughly here. But with the... The way the ranking system works in CS2 now is they've kind of split it up. So you've got, you can queue for individual matches like you could in CS, sorry, maps like you could in CSGO. And for those, you'll have a skill group, but it's per map now. Right. Rather than, because before you just have one overall rank, right? Oh, so does this mean that if you're super fucking good at dust, um, you'd have a rank for that? Oh, that's kind of sick. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, if, if you're literally just like, I'm a Dust2 warrior, I'm global elite on that, but you're terrible at like nuke, then you're going to be like silver or gold nova or whatever. Oh, does um, it, which does is it expose really, that cool. rank? Like you can tell if someone's dog shit at one map. Yeah, like it, it will show. Like if, if <laughs> that, you decide to, to queue that way for just specific mm-hmm. maps, it will show that. Um, but they've also got a different way of where you can have an overall rank, but it's shown as a rating. So you'll actually see where you are on the leaderboard, which is 
really cool because we've never had that in CSGO like before. Like you've got it on face it and stuff where you've mm-hmm. got different levels. But in terms of like valves, you know, where they keep it all together, um, that is really cool. And it's they've also moved to like a pick and ban system. So it's oh, like, okay. okay, if you want this overall rank, you're going to have to play potentially any of the maps in like the active juicy pool, oh. which is really cool. And like, there's a lot of stuff that's changed. I'm like so excited to talk about I, it. But, um, I was going to ask, is this like, because I've not looked much into Counter-Strike just as a whole. I remember, I remember the jump from Counter-Strike sort of like, what was it? 1.6 to Global Offensive being fairly big, but is going from what was, I guess, Counter-Strike Go to Counter-Strike 2, is, is it... It's not like a it's not like an Overwatch to Overwatch 2 situation is it like substantial changes I would say so yeah like they it does feel different like shooting and stuff feels different obviously you have like the same weapons if you've got skins they all okay, carry yeah, over yeah. as well you're going to know the maps as well but some of them have had like overhauls so like for example the one that I've been playing a lot this week is Inferno yeah that's been it's the same map in terms of like every building and sort of landmark thing and area in it is the same but it's like it's a lot brighter um they've like redesigned parts of it mm. so like you know that you know they you might not have a railing here anymore and that will <laughs> it has like such a massive difference yeah. it sounds like such a no, small no, no, thing but like, i understand like in terms of like a competitive sense like a little tiny change could like fuck up someone's entire flow when it comes to competitive games right Oh yeah, definitely. Um, another like a lot of it's like quality of life stuff as well. So like, um, one thing that was not a problem before, but with a game like Counter Strike, where you have to be very strategic, and like half of it is like practice, where you're learning smokes for specific areas. You know, when you're attacking a bomb site or when you're defending. Um, in Go, you because it was on like 64 tick server, if you were like throwing a smoke, it like wouldn't necessarily always land in the place you wanted to if you were like throwing it, like jumping and throwing yeah. manually. So you'd have like, they basically the way you got around it was having like a jump bind. Whereas now it's like, okay, they've changed to a sub tick system instead. So like what that should mean is that when you're like <laughs> peeking and shooting and jumping and stuff, it should be like way more responsive yeah. and consistent. It's like you don't need that bind anymore because um, we're still in like the the testing mm. period. Like some of the shooting stuff is like off still. So right now you've kind of got like a peeker's advantage. <laughs> um, you feel like going around a corner and stuff like which is is quite challenging because a lot of the game is like knowing where people are going to be like running in from and positioning yourself to be ready mm. for that. And like right now it's kind of flipped on its head. It's like, no, if you're rushing around a corner right now, a lot of people are finding you have that advantage, but it's one of those things I think where like, because they're pushing updates so often now yeah, and they're taking all this feedback on board, like they've been so good at, you know, addressing everything that's like sort of popped up as a problem. Um, but yeah, the, the game does feel different even down to like how many rounds you have in it as well. So in CSGO, you'd have like, you'd have to win 16 rounds to win the game. Jesus. Um, so yeah, 30 rounds overall. They've like reduced it so now you only have to win 13 and there's also overtime and that like it feels it kind of feels like they've borrowed way more from like sort of how the pros play and how you see sort of people mm. play on face it where yeah you've got like fewer rounds to win in and it, it, it does feel better I think like 
so many times in Go, you'd have this issue where if you've like lost a few rounds, your economy's low. <laughs> you kind of hit this like slump in the middle of the game if you're losing yeah. and it feels harder to come back. With fewer rounds, you really have to like be on it and you know respond and it's good i just um, i really like the idea of people considering their like financial situations when playing counter-strike rounds and like really yeah, really judging like each patch note down to like the t to make sure that like i have the best advantage it sounds like a game i'll get absolutely fucking smoked in and i'm, <laughs> I'm never it touching is, that's it that's the thing like right now because a a bunch of new players have just flooded in mm. and everyone's trying to get their um their ratings and their ranks yeah you the the games are like sort of they feel a bit wild in that like <laughs> but, you know in go your the ranks have settled you're sort of playing people that might be as good as you mm. or slightly better and so it's like okay i feel like i could win this match in some of the matches i've played we've dominated and it's been over I was going to say, you're quickly. like murking 10 year olds who are trying to get <laughs> like, into the game. <laughs> but at the same time in other ones, it's just like, who are we playing against? Because they're so much better than us. Like, yeah. I think obviously it's a brand new game, brand new system. It's going to take a while mm. for the ranks to actually settle and for you to get <laughs> to the point where you should be. Yeah. But I'm just really, really positive on it so far. Like all of the changes that have been made, I agree with. Yeah. Um, and even just like small things like being able to like if you miss buy at the beginning of the round like being able to refund what you've bought and quickly like switch to the weapon you want it just makes it like so much better it's like with this game i feel like it's a bunch of small things yeah that when all added together just make it such a good experience and on top of that it feels really smooth so far like it runs really well for me i know some people have had issues but the problem with CSGO is it's an old game, right? And if that's your main game, you probably haven't felt the need to like upgrade your PC mm -hmm. oh, over yeah. like these like years. Um, but we're getting there with stuff being optimized. We're getting there with little fixes and bugs. And I think it's in a really good space. Like they said that it's coming out in, in summer um, 2023. Mm. And that technically ends, <laughs> summer technically ends on the 23rd of September. So if we're sticking with that time frame, like we're really close to it actually launching properly. Yeah, this is your Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, I love it so much. Could oh, you try again? Sorry, my watch is oh. going off. <laughs> but yeah, like... Um, Has it noticed your elevated heart rate? Yeah. Is that why it's... Yeah, it's like, oh, calm down, it's all right. But yeah, like I, I sort of, I got back into Go when they announced like... Um, that CS2 was a mm. thing and was coming because it was just suddenly out of nowhere almost. You know, there were some rumors, but yeah. I've just kind of dropped three trailers and they were like, yep, yeah, it's happening, summer. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I got back into CSGO and I was like, right, I need to, you know, train. I need to learn some smokes and stuff. And all like the trailing, training and things that I've put into it <laughs> have like carried over as well. So it feels really good coming from that game to this one. Like it feels like it's paid off. I just, I just love the idea of just imagining you as like this fucking Rambo Terminator, just absolute <laughs> destroyer in first person shooters. Oh. I, 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 feel, I think I'm all right. Like I'm okay. Like obviously there's always going to be someone better out there, right? But I'm having so much fun with it. Yeah. And I think, especially with a game like this, if you can play with like three to five, like if you can get a full team together for mm. five, like go for it. Um, I've been playing with like a sort of team that sort of fluctuates between three and five people, depending on who's free. And we're having such a good time just yeah. getting back into it. And because I took like maybe a break of like two years 
from CSGO sort of mm. I was I was really into it um like writing guides and stuff like that's <laughs> how like you know Matt and I got talking through that as well like um had a break came back and was really enjoying go and CS2 just feels like it really does feel better in like every way so far and I'm really happy with where it's going like I'm so excited for it to be out in the world for everyone to try <laughs> as well like right now I think if you aren't in the test um what Valve are saying is if you go into CSGO, you get your rank in that, then each time they send out invitations, like hopefully oh, you'll get okay. into the next wave kind of thing. But it feels like we are getting close. Mm. Like three updates in one week feels mm, like yeah. they're really preparing, you know, putting the finishing touches on, making sure that, you know, we're, we're ready. I mean, good luck nice. to anyone who goes against Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's a bit like good luck against anyone who goes up against the bosses of Armored Core Six. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been filtered many a time. More, more so, I think, in Armored Core Six than Elden Ring, um, mm -hmm. where I was like, I've got a build I'm really happy with, and then one boss comes around and is like, "Fuck you," and then <laughs> I'm stuck for an hour or two. So, yeah, we are, we're a little bit late to this one. Apologies from all of us. Uh, Gamescom got in the way. <laughs> but yes, Armored Core 6 is the longer-awaited... Uh, well, it's not actually the sixth game in the Armored Core series. No, but um, but um, it is, you know, Armored Core's been away for a long time because FromSoft found an awful lot of success in, in the Souls formula mm. and tinkered around with that for, for basically uh, like a decade and a half. Uh, but now they're back with Armor Core, uh, which is like a, I guess, kind of like a, both a refinement and a slight reinvention of the original kind of like their mech game formula, which is you uh, essentially you have a garage that you build um, a mech in out of lots of different parts that you, you, you buy from the market over the course of the game where like each mission gives you money that you can you can then use to build your ideal mech. And the idea is, is that each mission kind of like has like a rough different challenge to it so it might be that you go in with uh, like a really light nimble mech but you realize that the boss actually requires like a massive kind of like quadruped <laughs> with four cannons yeah. you know, two on its shoulders two on its arms so then you come you you jump back out at the checkpoint you change the uh the mech very quickly in the garage and then you send it straight back in against the boss and hopefully dominate with it uh it's obviously it is from from software and the bosses are very clearly still in the same design format that Dark Souls and, oh, yeah. and and particularly Sekiro perfected. This is directed by the guy that directed Sekiro, and I feel it all over. And I fucking adore Sekiro. <laughs> I think it is one of the most accomplished melee video games of all time. And to have that turned into this wonderfully kind of nimble high-speed mech game um, where almost all of my mechs have been about speed because God do I love a dex build. Mm. Um, but I I love this. But Jesse, I know you've played some Armored Core games before this, had you? Yeah, I've played um, a couple on the 360 and then I, I think I messed around like many, many years ago as a kid with Armored Core on the PS2. Um, it's never really like... I wasn't really too into the mech genre until I... <laughs> until I got to college and watched Evangelion for the first time I was like shit this stuff is cool of which this is basically like the the Evangelion vibes that you can get from this kind of like the whole like like you can imagine like the screen shaking oh. in the cockpit and oh yeah like every build has had the uh, Ava 1 colours for me in terms right. of mm -hmm. just what I've been 
putting together. But the the thing you said about sort of every every boss encounter is just like you can tell this feels like a this feels like a Dark Souls boss. You know, like mm-hmm. the combat outside of that, it feels a bit more what I'd expect from a mech game and stuff. You obviously have a bunch of different types of enemies you have to deal with. There might be a few tanks, there might be a few flying units, there might be units that, you know, stay invisible then go in for a sneak mm-hmm. attack. And then there are other armored cores, which obviously are kind of like your mini bosses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, I, I, I'm surprised how much I have been enjoying it. But on, on the flip side of that, I have not been playing it as fast paced as many others. I've sort of found comfort in making just this big oh, really? fuck off tank and stuff. Because I, right. I feel like I'm not the best when it comes to like sort of timing, you know, dodges and parries mm-hmm. and whatnot. I, feel, I do feel like it is easier in this game because I think the more mechanical nature of what you're going up against helps me, helps signpost the moments where I'm well, mentally like learning. The, the, there's like a beep, 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 beep yeah, when they've yeah, target yeah. locked you and stuff like There's a lot more kind of like uh, almost because of the mechanical nature of it mm. and the sci-fi elements of it, there are more warnings and visual cues yes. when an attack is coming. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say that necessarily makes it easier, but it gives you more language. It, it's a difficult game in many respects. Oh, yeah, for sure. But um, I... Yeah, I'm just having I'm having a really really good time with it. Again, it's one of those things where I'm not really paying attention all too much to the story. It's it's sort of there because every every mission, you know, sort of begins with a brief mm-hmm. in. And it's like this corporation wants you, you know, to blow up this specific little generator here because it will, you know, kill the farmer's ambitions to, <laughs> to ruin the planet. Well, yeah, see, I th- I think the story is that, like, it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not Baldur's Gate oh, no, by any no, means, but all. I actually think the story is really nice, but because it's quite sad. So, you know, it's yeah, this, it is. <laughs> you are this mercenary that's on a planet where the people are quite clearly being basically fucked up by corporations <laughs> and you're yeah. just, like, shipping between all these companies that are ruining their lives. Yeah, I think, I think that's where, like, it's going to sound awful. I don't necessarily feel for them. It's just like, I need the payment so I can, I always look at like, I don't care who I'm working for. I just look at like, Mm -hmm. who's paying me the most in this particular mission. Even if it's like, you're going to kill everyone and their families. If you blow up this ship, it's like, as long as I get paid, Mm -hmm. I don't really care, which is quite naughty of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does, it does, it almost has sort of like ace combat vibes in that when you're actually playing these missions, like if you're going up against another AC it becomes like really anime and over the top and people are like, you're not going to kill me. And then like you blow up and then I just scream and stuff. And it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really, I'm really, really enjoying that. Um, I'm just, I'm sort of hoping for some more mech games to kind of come out now. Cause I want, I want another steel battalion. I want another like mm-hmm. Chrome hounds. And even with Chrome hounds, I think it from soft, from soft actually helped develop that. I feel like they did. That was um, an early 360 game, but even so like, I want big, bulky, grim mechs to blow shit up. Yeah, see, see it's interesting because uh, typically I've always favoured kind of like the bigger, kind of like more clanky mechs because you know obviously I got a huge amount of love for for Warhammer mm. in which like the mechs are very big and kind of robotic, and also like probably some of my favourite video game mechs of all time is the Titanfall set, which are that very traditional sort of like big robotic they move kind of heavy and stuff yeah. like that but the ones that i've loved in this and it's probably because of the Sekiro dna in it is the faster i can go the fast the more i love this yes. game like i am like, so far um one of my favorite bosses in it has been Batalius, i think oh, they're called which yeah, is yeah. 
you'll probably have seen him in a or well it i guess in a in a trailer which is this is the one that's like a big circle that opens up into basically it's like a ball of rocket launchers and it can send like probably in a salvo it's probably sending about 50 rockets at you at any one time it turns it turns the boss into like a bullet hell experience yeah Mm -hmm. and kind of midway through it when you get i think when it gets down to about 30 percent health it has flamethrowers that it can use like scissors and create these big waves of fire that comes out in front of you such bullshit Um, (laughs) but like I built the fastest mech that I could possibly build for mm. that. And it has like a pull shield. So I've got these rocket launchers on one of my shoulders that fired these like anti-pulse shield yeah. rockets that were just exploding all over the place. I've got another rocket on my other shoulder, which is an eight shot salvo that fires <laughs> them directly up and arcs them back down. In one hand, I've got like this Gatling gun that's going, you know, sort of like 18,000 rounds oh, yeah. a minute as I am basically <laughs> ice skating around this thing. And then as his shield goes down and he sort of like crashes into the ground because essentially I've overloaded his systems. I put the boost on. I've I've bought this upgrade that allows you to kick when you come out (laughs) the boost. So I come out, I kick this essentially giant spherical rocket launcher and then turn on a lightsaber and swing it through him twice. And the feeling, like the exhilaration Mm. of doing that, it takes me right back to when I got pretty good at Sekiro. And I was able to fight bosses and I'd learnt every like strike that they would do. And I'd memorized like the the audio cues of how yeah. all of those strikes would land. And with that fight, because I like I found him really tricky. I did have to do him like a good probably ten or twelve times. Yeah. And I switched build up about five times uh, during yeah, that. So I saw I had the same experience. I ended up going from something that was really fast to just a tanky build where right. I, I barely had to move to kill him but it was like down to the fucking wire of like mm-hmm. i had like 10 percent health and i was just got him to five percent i almost died but it was like yeah. it's insane oh it's, it's it's so good and kind of like even the first boss which i know kind of like um, a lot of people that weren't necessarily souls fans that decided like they wanted to play armor core because it is almost i'd say the only weird thing about armor core is like the normal missions just feel like normal mech missions yeah and then suddenly out of fucking nowhere <laughs> a, a sekiro boss turns up yeah. basically but um the helicopter that a lot of people will have seen in kind of like the first minutes videos and stuff like that that took me a good kind of like eight tries. Mm. But the feeling of like learning that it was really weak to the laser sword yeah. and just going full kind of Buzz Lightyear with a rocket <laughs> on his back, charging up into its underside and basically carving giant yeah. sweeps through it. Oh, this game feels like, it, you know, it's it's not, a, it's not a, a, a wild thought to talk about how good a game from From Software feels when it comes to combat. Mm. But it really has got that feeling of Sekiro, even down to the... When you kill a boss in Sekiro, you've got like, these beautifully animated like finisher moves. Yeah. And and this doesn't do that because there's way too many kind of um, armaments for it to be able to create like a bespoke finisher move for every weapon that you use. Mm. But the fact that it goes into like this wonderful slow motion as you're just watching like this giant laser sword carve through. Oh, yeah. And it, sparks going everywhere. It, it feels great to know that you're about to get the final hit and then when it connects to the boss, the game slows down. You just see this big stupid explosion of just purple and blue lights everywhere. It's a it's a pretty experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's got it's got a real good sense of scale. Like even though you are massive, it it has the camera pulled out quite a lot, so you can see all of like the missiles that are coming yeah. at you and stuff like that. It gives you a wide view, but that means that you almost feel quite small in this game world. 
but you are as tall as a building in it. So the actual way that they've configured all the maps, like you are just like, your cover is a skyscraper. <laughs> like it's got such an unusual sense. And when you do like in the first chapter, you um, you get to fight this giant like walking harvester laser beam thing. Oh yeah. Uh, and you like collapse its back leg to get on it. And that, like has got such a sense of spectacle and scale oh, yeah. like, almost unlike anything like you know the biggest bosses in a, in a souls game don't really compare to the scale that's going on in in armor core and it it does really have that sort of feeling of um like massive things that are so massive it makes massive things feel small <laughs> it's, it's 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 got a really cool approach there yeah um i wanted to ask emma have you checked out armored core i haven't i feel like that's the thing I really love from. Like, I'm a mm-hmm. massive fan of like Dark Souls. Really like Sekiro, but as soon as I saw Mechs, I was like, oh, I'm not. I'm not too bothered about Mechs. Like, I feel yeah. like I was dismissive of it. But like maybe I shouldn't have been because you're talking about like the combat and stuff. And like I really love the combat in Sekiro. Like had especially against some of its bosses, they had like had like a really like rhythmic kind of yeah. almost like a rhythm game in how you like approach the combat with your parries and stuff. And like. If that's in this, that that might be enough to it's win me over. Fucking absolutely in this with some of the bosses, man. It's surprising. I had like a oh, who's the oh god? I forgot their names. One of my famous duos that you fight in the original Dark Souls. Um, oh, Ornstein and Smaug. Yeah, they have an equivalent of that in this, which fucked me up many a time. Um, <laughs> but it is. I it love is, that fight. It's so good. It is good fun, and it's just so over the top, man. So over the top. Is it, it just literally back to back bosses? Like what are no, you kind so, of no. doing like, in between? So like Matt sort of described it well where you'll have like a couple missions where it's like, just go here, destroy this target, and it'll be like, you know, weaker enemies and stuff, weaker mechs. But then And they okay. actually feel surprised for for a FromSoft game, I was like, Oh, they've really dialed back on the difficulty yeah. here. Like some of those missions can be just a very simple like go out and pick up these five audio logs while killing like the mechs that are around there. Mm. Or like there's a like one of them that one of the early ones is kind of like there's a big wall that we're trying to bring down and there's loads of people attacking it you've just got to go and kill like the defenses around it and stuff like that so it's weirdly mission based like that but then like you'll get a big set piece mission which is a a soulsy ish style boss yeah and that's what you'll be working on for like a good few (laughs) a good few tries um but yeah it's that it's that weird mix of like sort of just oh this feels like a, just a nice fun mech game and then all of a sudden like this big ass Sekiro boss comes out and fucks you up for like two hours um mm-hmm. but yeah the the good thing is though is that there is a checkpoint right before the boss mm. so it's like it, it, you, there's no like death runs that you have to do it's okay because uh, it's very much built into the game the idea of like it knows you're not going to be able to do the boss on the first try probably in many respects because sometimes the mission before the boss requires a very different build than the boss. Yeah. So it puts that uh, checkpoint in knowing that you are going to need to then go back into the garage, refit your mech and come back to that checkpoint to then sort of like like destroy this giant giant flying robot or whatever it is. Um, and I really like that about it. It means that like there's less frustration to a certain degree than there is in certain other from and like, you know, from fixed a lot of this for for Elden Ring, right? Is that they put the bonfire, well, the Sites of Grace or a Statue of Marika mm. next to the boss. So you could just keep coming back at the boss. Uh, but this actually building in this flow of like fight, 
assess what did I do wrong, what's wrong with this build, change the build, immediately go back in, fight, okay, this one didn't work quite what I was thinking. So everything about it is good rather than this weapon. So I'm going to take this weapon off and try this one. Ah, oh, okay, this is working now. Try, try, try. They're dead. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. <laughs> Have a sense of elation when they're dead as well because it, yeah. it, it feels good. It feels good when they go down. Exactly. Anyway... That's enough waffle about uh, what we've been playing. Let's get into a bit of your feedback. We're going to skip the endless search this week because we know that it's a longer podcast. Uh, Jesse, bit of feedback uh, for you, please. Yeah, this is from Luke Hudson. Um, and he says, Hi, IGN, or hi, UK IGN team, rather. Just finished last week's podcast where I was disappointed to hear Cardi's love for ABBA was cruelly ridiculed. Now, before I finish off the rest of your feedback, we were flying back to London and we were stuck in this airport bar for, it might have been an hour, but they were playing the worst fucking ABBA tracks in the world. And then after they were done with like the fucking F side tracks, they moved on to like the shittiest, just like 1970s German pop that you've ever heard. And it's like, it was fucking like brain melting music. So when Cardi was trying to convince us that yeah, like ABBA's banging, and of course, you'd always have that in a playlist. You just wouldn't. I don't think anyone actively wants to engage in ABBA listening. <laughs> so, I don't mind ABBA. I think yeah, you've got to be in the mood for that music, though. Yeah. You can't. You can't just put it on at any time. I sort of. Mm. I feel like I need to be in that kind of like poppy, very yeah. upbeat mood to begin with. Someone has to put it on for me. I'm not going to have it on a playlist. If like there, there's some good tunes from ABBA, but it's not like. I'm coming back from work on the train and I want to listen to ABBA. I just, I don't believe anyone over or under the age of 35 will do that. Oh, I just scrape in. Uh, but I don't like ABBA. <laughs> yeah. I just scrape in. I don't like ABBA, so. ABBA's good when, when it's a surprise, right? Like, yeah. If, if you're at a no, party no, or when ABBA's a surprise, it's it, like, oh it's, yeah, it, put on Dancing Queen, let's have a good time. Oh, we, there's, there's clearly mixed feelings already. Um, but <laughs> back, back to Luke, he says, I'd like to raise my banner on the side of Cardi and confirm SOS is an absolute banger. Um, a particular gem is listening to Pierce Brosnan attempting to sing it. I'm completely thrown at how he's got a singing role in Mamma Mia. Same here, James Bond deserves bow. I can also advise Cardi that ABBA Voyage is an amazing experience for any ABBA fan and all the team behind the performance deserve an immense amount of credit for the concert. This leads me on to my first question. Are there any bands, groups or performances that you'd like to see immortalized in the same way as ABBA have been? What era of your choice would you, would you like to be shown? Who would have the appeal to run a virtual concert six days a week and still draw crowds? I, I'm going to say I don't care for that. What I'd much prefer is if there were like almost like how you can watch Hamilton on Disney. If there was just like select mm -hmm. concerts in high quality that the, you know, like broadcast radio that you can just watch and enjoy, that would be banging. I don't need to see what probably looks like a great, <laughs> like sort of 3D rendition of them. Like that sort of creeps me out a little. Yeah, there's a certain amount of like, but the thing is ABBA is still, still alive. alive. Yeah, but, and but so really the thing for how that, long though? Because <laughs> for me, if I could go and see kind of like, uh, like, Bowie seems to be the perfect oh, yeah. uh, thing for this but also I wouldn't want to go and see it because I don't want Bowie's like the corpse <laughs> of Bowie to be sort of like resurrected on stage yeah. in holographic tech that yeah. feels a bit weird mm. to and me and just imagine if that glitches out sort of like that one scene in Dungeons and Dragons where it's like the face starts <laughs> melting and shit like I don't want to see that <laughs> yeah I feel like 
I, I wouldn't personally want to see anything like that, but yeah, like you said, with Bowie, I think Queen is another one. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what do you do about Freddy? Because <laughs> you can't have Queen without Freddy. That sounds but... like a film as well. What do you do about Freddy? Yeah, that'd be a good title. But yeah, I think I'm with Jesse. I'd rather just watch, you know, especially even if it's like an older like mm-hmm. gig or something yeah. that's been like remastered. It's in well, 4K it's... and... I'd I'd love to see more of kind of like you know what Peter Jackson did with the Beatles oh, where yeah, he got yeah. all of that footage and like cleaned it up and turned it into this amazing sort of journey for the Beatles. Like I'd love to see kind of like something that maybe was you got like this remastered version of a classic show, mm. you know, like a classic Bowie or a classic Floyd kind of like stage show. But then you get all, you know, if there were behind the scenes stuff done of it, you also get all of that around it. So it's the journey of watching these artists lead up to like this incredible landmark show they did, yeah. which obviously you know requires that footage. But you know if that if that was a thing that was going, absolutely. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see what the future of ABBA is in in another podcast. Maybe next year we'll have an ABBA roundup. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, Luke goes on to ask. Secondly, with a full release to the public, Starfield is looking to be a great time. Hmm. However, one aspect that I'm that I'm somewhat disliking is the encumbrance game mechanic. I find that in games outside of survival, um, the limitation of carrying items and or suffering restricted movement in Bethesda games particularly, uh, no fast travel to be pointless. I'm not sure if you would find many people that when asked, do you want your space adventure exploration game where you collect large amounts of resources, items and loot to have weight restrictions like Ryanair flight would say, <laughs> yes, please, that'll make my experience more fun. I know there are stats and robots to improve this, but I personally feel like it doesn't add something positive to the experience. So my next question is, are there any game mechanics that you think perhaps shouldn't be included in some game genres? Um, I think, at least at least for me, um, I wouldn't even say this is really a game mechanic. I think this is just a fault of Starfield, which I'm sorry I have to bring up. <laughs> but like, if I am trying to like join a faction, if I'm gonna join a pirate faction, and one of my companions is essentially a cop. He should not be allowed to be there with me. Like, I know it's not it's not really like a specific game mechanic, but it's more like where you want is reactivity within yes, your party to the decisions that you're yeah, making. Yeah, it's an aspect of role playing games that should be respected. Because and because and sometimes that companion just chimes in, even if I'm having a chat with like the evil boss. I'm like, how does no one have a problem with this? It's insane. Uh, what about you, Emma? <laughs> I think. Mine is with a specific game, so and I feel like <laughs> it's something strike. that could have been improved. And it, I love Tears of the Kingdom, mm. but my gosh, like I feel like we could have gone a little bit further with improving the cooking. <laughs> Why won't you just let me meal prep and you know cook like fifty uh, baked apples yeah. or whatever yes. at once? Yeah, like, absolutely. why do I have to go through and manually pick the recipe or the items? Like, it improves slightly since Breath of the Wild in that you can just work from a recipe, but it doesn't let you do multiple, and that's so frustrating. Yeah, you got you got to see the little, you know, five-second cute animation of just, I don't know, Link bobbling some apples in a pot and shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. skip every time and let me just do multiple at once, please. I've got, I've got too many things to do. I'm very busy. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I like the idea of Link, like, meal prepping because he's just mad jacked now and stuff yeah what about you matt 
uh like i guess tangent into that just crafting just, just bin off crafting <laughs> from like games that don't need it like the last of us did not need crafting um starfield does does not need crafting um mm. you know even crafting weirdly is in Baldur's gate i never use it oh yeah i've i've never used that. I'm, I'm i'm picking up like fucking mushrooms mm. all the damn time I'm not. I'm, they're going into my stew. I'm not putting a, yeah. putting into a potion. But uh, like my big one though is uh, anything that has come from the looter shooter genre yes. or like the Diablo side of things, get it out. I don't <laughs> want to constantly be swapping out my gun for a gun that does like three and a half percent more damage or trying to choose between oh this gun has got an extra 1.6 percent dark damage over this <laughs> one that has got like 1.8 yeah fucking poison damage or whatever it's like let me have just guns that are either like designed for specific situations that you are always going to come across so like this sniper rifle will be good for when you are 100 meters away from yeah. them and then when you get close you switch to the assault rifle like that was perfectly good or if you're gonna do kind of like that they've got stats like i want 30 percent poison damage on something like 1.8 or whatever crap you've got <laughs> is, uh, is yeah it's no good it's pointless that is, that is a uh, fair point emma you've got you've got a bit of feedback here we have, this is from Kyle. Kyle says, hi IGN UK, I've just bought a house. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. I'm now in the middle of moving. In doing so, I've had to make some decisions with what game collectibles to keep and what to either give away or trash. Trash? I have some easy decisions. We've been in a few posters and GTA maps, along with giving away my PSVR one with the Farpoint PS Move light gun. <laughs> Not really a collectible, I know. Um, when I came across what I think is the best special edition ever, the GTA 4 safety deposit box. A one-to-one -one replica of a safety deposit box made of metal that actually works. Currently keep mine and my wife's passports, birth certificates, etc. in there. <laughs> Do any of you have any collectibles that you really love or find useful? I'm just taking a look at this picture. Someone is selling this safety deposit box for $20 on eBay. <laughs> You're always checking the resale value, aren't you? Just to be yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> just, to, just to double check. I just wanted to see, like, how safe is this safety deposit box? But it's, I feel like it's a good idea to maybe put valuables in a GTA. Maybe that deters someone from wanting to take a life of crime up. I don't know. Um... I've got, I've got like maybe a few little things. Um, there's uh, one of my favorite horror games on the PS2, Forbidden Siren, has these two, um, sort of, like lore guidebooks that have uh, well, yeah, it goes in in depth about the story, the characters, even like little developmental things, just like how they put the game together and some other lore bits that I really really like, but. It's all in Japanese. <laughs> so I've I've sort of got like this translation that I've downloaded for years. So whenever I want to just like look back at the book, I look at the pictures and then read the translation. But little things like that, I don't really, since joining IGN, I've not really wanted to like, <sighs> there hasn't been a special edition where I'm like, I need this. Like I, I really, really want this cool thing and stuff. My last special edition was Resident Evil 2 Remake. So I've still got my little Leon figure. But yeah, that's that's about it for me. Yeah, I've I've not bought a special edition for a very, very long time. What I do have here um that I actually got from from the office because I never got it in the first time, but mm. um, we got one lying around is uh, is Corvo's mask from Dishonored 2. Oh, that's cool. Which I wouldn't necessarily say is a um like it's not a must have. Mm. Um but um 
it's um like it, it's just nice because I like Dishonored. <laughs> you know, it's it's a bit plasticky if you get if you get up too close. Uh, but it, at least it's only if you get close. Whereas like the Vault Tech Pit Boy that they gave in uh, Fallout Four mm. um, is very much like that's not a very good uh, collectible at all. That is <laughs> real plastic hunk of junk. <laughs> um, yeah. But I've not necessarily got anything that I find useful. I've got uh, I do really like I've got the Bioshock Two Collector's Edition from way back when, which is just a nice like if you like Bioshock, it's got a really lovely art book in it. It's got uh, like a good vinyl of the Bioshock uh, soundtrack. And then I think it's got, so that's the Bioshock 2 soundtrack. And then I think it's got the Bioshock 1 soundtrack on CD. Mm. Um, And then um, some posters that I've never ever put up, but they do actually have like secret messages on them if you you put UV light on them. Oh, that's neat. Um, That's quite cool. So that's that's kind of cool mm. um but but yeah so i've not got anything that i would find useful like the safety deposit box mm. what about you emma speaking of pit boys we've got two <laughs> <God>. <laughs> my partner and i both bought one because we thought they looked so cool at the time and we were like really really excited for fallout 4 but we had like the i think it was like iphone 6 plus or 7 plus at the time it didn't even fit so it turned up we couldn't even put our phones in there oh. right oh. yeah i had to borrow like a family member's phone just to try it on just to have the moment of like oh look i've got a pit boy that's proper um, peak so yeah those have been in the box since then the boxes mm. look quite cool um so when you have them kind of like bookends on a shelf they look mm-hmm. all right but yeah like I, I didn't really get to use that as it was intended um I don't know if I have anything necessarily like useful. A lot mm. of the um, like special editions I've got come with like a little statue or something, um, and I've got two that work quite well together. So I've got like Link; he's got his sword out, <laughs> and I've got him. So he looks like he's fighting um, the Lord of Cinder from Dark Souls oh, Three. Cool. Oh, nice! That looks pretty cool. Mm. Definitely not useful, but it looks yeah. pretty cool <laughs> on the shelf. Yeah, like and I've got a ton of amiibo, which I guess. They're useful in um, Tears of the Kingdom right now if you need some food and you want to get some of the fabrics for your paragliders yeah, or outfits and that's stuff. That's all listed on the Tears of the Kingdom guide on IGN as well. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, safety deposit box. I don't have anything on that level where mm. it's actually like you can put stuff that, in That it. does remind that me, I, I cool. do have, um, my partner got this for me as a, as a belated birthday present, which is, <laughs> I wouldn't say, I, I'm not going to say it's useful, but it is a physical cool thing, which is the um, Leon's <laughs> SG09 pistol uh, airsoft gun that Tokyo Marie put out <laughs> specifically for Resident <laughs> Evil 4 remake. Um, so it's a fine gun. <laughs> that's the most fucking Jesse, Jesse thing that's been said on this podcast <laughs> yeah. all day. Right. Let's move on to the final one. Uh, this is from Dom, who says, Hi team, uh, long-time listener, first-time writer, etc. I've been playing through Baldur's Gate. I'm still in the first act, but I listened to both Baldur's great podcasts <laughs> and naturally enjoyed them. I've not played either of the Divinity games, but Baldur's Gate feels a lot like Pillars of Eternity. Um, so I found it strange that these games weren't mentioned as part of the conversation. Am I wrong in making this connection, or are these games just not as popular or rated as I've assumed based on my really positive experience with both, particularly the first Pillars of Eternity game? Thanks for all the pods, respect the sea, from Dom. Dom, you are not wrong to uh, believe that they're similar to Pillars of Eternity. However, what I would say is, is there's probably a, a pretty easy explanation as to why they weren't mentioned, and that's because... Um, 
I'm going to maybe um, just hazard a guess, and sorry if this is not the case, but I guess that maybe you've played Pillars of Eternity, but you've not played the original Baldur's Gate games. Pillars of Eternity came came out as part of a Kickstarter that Obsidian did, and the pitch of the Kickstarter was like, hey, it has been like, like a very long time since Baldur's Gate 2 and no one's basically making games like this anymore. So if you kickstart us, we will make a game called Pillars of Eternity <laughs> and it will be just like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Uh, and I put my money in and I played it and yeah, it was. It was just like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. So I think the reason why Pillars wouldn't necessarily be discussed in relation to uh, like Baldur's Gate 3 is because when we're talking about any relation that it has to the original games that almost covers its relationship to Pillars of Eternity as well because they are like they are essentially the same game with just different storylines and different characters in the Pillars universe is not the D&D universe mm. but it might as well be like there are analogs to almost everything in the universe and it's made in some cases by people that worked on what we call the Infinity Engine games. The Infinity Engine is the engine that the original Baldur's Gate was built on which was then used for Baldur's Gate 2 and the Icewind Dale games, all games set in the Forgotten Realms. And some people that worked on Pillars of Eternity worked on those Infinity Engine games. So Mm. the whole point was essentially to... It's a big nostalgia play. It was like, hey, here are the games that you used to love playing. Yeah. Um, And so really that's why they don't necessarily get the connection to Baldur's Gate 3 because we're, we're speaking about Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 effectively we're covering pillars as well in that mm. style uh, divinity obviously has a has a as a closer relationship to to this because divinity original sin one and two were made by larian and so therefore a lot of their a lot of the tools that were used to make those games is used to make Baldur's gate and therefore a lot of the kind of like there are overlaps in experiential elements you know they yeah. are the Divinity games are much more freeing than the uh, than the Pillars games and the original Baldur's Gates were, um, and so that's where you get all of your like your mad kind of like oh I I did this this and this and created you know killed uh, killed a boss by using a weapon that killed them based on how much gold they got <laughs> so therefore I pickpocketed them and actually put forty thousand gold in their pocket so when I hit them with my staff they died instantly. <laughs> Like all of that sort of stuff comes from the from the game mechanics of Divinity mm. and obviously a fifth edition D anD D, but yes, any of that kind of like traveling around the world, the companions, the conversations, all of that will be very similar to to Pillars of Eternity because Pillars of Eternity itself is a tribute to, to Baldur's Gate. Yeah, and I, and I and I would say in terms of our specific conversation in terms of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I would say that Matt is probably the only person here who's played Pillars of Eternity. I haven't, so in terms of these discussions, right. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone else has actually played those games, because I haven't. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone else on the team has either. No, I, I don't think so. Mm. But but yeah, like you, Dom, you're absolutely uh, right to say that they, they sort of are part of the conversation. It's just that they're not maybe the ones that people would first go to because of their similarities. But yes, I, I'm really pleased that you enjoyed them, because they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's IGN UK podcast. A feature-length uh, podcast, yeah, no less. yeah. If you've if you've got anything that you'd like to chat to us about, please do email us in. It is IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN dot com. Uh, but that's it for today, Emma, Jesse. Thank you so much for joining me. That's okay. And uh, yeah, you know, like like Matt said, if you think Abba is shit and you want to let us know, then make sure to email in. You know, that's important. 
Uh, yeah, that is that's apparently exactly what I said. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.